Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, a number of years ago I attended a high school graduation ceremony at a, at a public high school. An acquaintance was graduating and invited me to the event, so I came along and, and watched. I was somewhat interested to go simply to see how they would celebrate this occasion. I'd attended many graduations at Christian schools, but never one at a public school. Now, at one point in the ceremony, a small group of students from the graduating, graduating class, they, they sang a song just for entertainment partly, also for the graduating class, a message for the graduating class. And the lyrics went like this, we're here for a good time, not a long time, so have a good time, the sun can't shine every day. Now, I'm sure many of you, perhaps of the older generation, know that song very well. It actually has a very catchy tune. But as they were singing the song, I couldn't help but think to myself, no, this is, this is kind of depressing. Uh, is this all that you have to sing about at a moment like this? However, if you don't have hope beyond this life, that sort of thing easily becomes your perspective. It's just another spin on, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In our culture, death is often hidden from view. Perhaps some of us have not, never even seen a dead body before. But it's a reality in this broken world that we cannot simply sing away. Sooner or later, we will all come to face the reality of death. That, of course, is not nice to think about. But as believers, that simply does not mean we despair, not at all. Not at all. In fact, we can live with joy, even though death is a reality in this world, we can live with joy because of the sure hope we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon, I do so under the following theme and points. In the face of death, God comforts us with the hope of the resurrection and life everlasting. We have two main points, the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting, and the comfort of the resurrection and life everlasting. So, the Lord's Day before, this is, before us this afternoon is Lord's Day 22, and this Lord's Day often sparks the most questions in catechism class. Questions such as, you know, will we all be 20 years old on the new heavens and new earth? Uh, in eternal life, will, will we be able to recognize each other from this life? I'm sure you have many questions like that also. Now, questions are not the only thing that can arise in our minds when it comes to this teaching of Scripture, but it's also true that doubts can at times arise in our hearts too. Doubts such as, you know, will I really escape the grave? into everlasting life? Will I really be accepted into heaven? Perhaps one reason these doubts arise is, well, simply our weakness, but perhaps also because of the finality of it all. Once your life is finished on this earth, there's no going back. Eternity begins. That's a sobering thought. And death is an enemy. So maybe we wonder, what's, what's going to happen to me when I die? 
And that's why in this first point, we're going to focus on the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting. And this comes through in our reading from 1 Thessalonians 4. See, in this passage, God the Holy Spirit, who has inspired these words, gives believers assurance of their future resurrection, of our future resurrection. We see this in these words. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in the Lord. Now, that sentence grammatically is in the negative. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. We could word it in the positive sense also. We want you to know for sure what happens to believers when they die. We want you to understand without a doubt what will happen to them in the future so that you will not waver. Perhaps the Thessalonian church had questions about believers who had already died Perhaps Paul simply thought it prudent to write about this, to hammer this home. But in any case, the point is that the Holy Spirit wants us firmly in our minds. There are many reasons why he wants this for us, but two specific ones are given in this passage, one at the beginning and, and one at the end. We read, We want you to know this so that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. And at the end, also, that you might encourage each other with these sure truths. Encourage each other when fellow believers die in the Lord. As a people who belong to Christ, we still face the death of fellow believers. And we will all face death one day ourselves, unless the Lord returns first. And how do we as Christians face death? Well, we do it in the sure confidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit inspired this passage so that we would not doubt, so that we would be certain you do not need to grieve as others do who have no hope. Encourage each other with the coming resurrection of the dead in the face of death. It's that certain, and so we can speak about it to each other and with each other with certainty. That's what God is instructing us here in this passage. Why can we do that? Why could we ever have this certainty? Where does it come from? Well, we must get this part right. If we don't, then we have no hope at all. This hope does not come from wishing upon a shooting star. We're not spouting off empty phrases when we encourage each other about the resurrection. Our hope is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 4. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And why? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Christ. The certainty of the future resurrection is based on Jesus' own death and resurrection. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, writes Paul. What is the gospel or good news of Christ all about? It's the message of the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection in history and what those events achieved. Christ Jesus died on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And after his death, he was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Those are the events in history. And what did he achieve for us by those events? He effected salvation. Didn't just make it possible, he effected it. By his death on the cross, he's fully paid. By his resurrection, he has overcome death for us. He's won for us eternal life. And that's the great need of, of everyone on earth. The great need all people in this world have is to overcome death. It's an enemy we all face. There's simply no denying it, no getting around it. And the great hope in this world, in fact, the only hope, is in the one who overcame death, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, despite its cold, lethal grip, death could not keep its hands on Christ. It was impossible for the righteous one to remain in the grave. So all our hope for resurrection and eternal life is in him. In our reading from Isaiah 25, we saw a contrast between the strong and the weak. The Lord brings down the powerful oppressor, but the Lord is a stronghold for the weak. And this is a, a common theme throughout Scripture. The strong often rely on their own strength, and though they, the, the strong may flourish for a time, their strength eventually fails. The weak, however, cry out to God for help, and they are helped. And the thing we must realize is that everyone's strength will fail eventually. The strength of even the most powerful is decimated by death. And so we have no hope of overcoming the grave ourselves, no matter how strong we are. Instead, we must cry out to God. Only the recreating power of God can overcome death. And all we can say is, Lord, I have sinned against you. I deserve death. I am weak. I am sinful. I need you. I cannot say myself, have mercy on me in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we will receive mercy. God has given us His very own Son for that purpose. And He recreates us. He will resurrect us. He will make us new and graciously give us eternal life, the eternal life we were meant to live. 
1 Thessalonians 4 again, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is the sure word of the Lord. Remember, God said to Adam at creation, in the day you eat of that tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And we know that God's word was true. It was dependable. God was faithful to what he had spoken to Adam. We all know that death came through sin. But so surely has he said, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will have everlasting life. It's just as much firm and sure, dependable. Well, facing death can be a scary thing. Eternity is coming. But we face it with confidence, not on ourselves, but on the sure word of God in Christ. When, when did God make a promise and then not fulfill it? When did God speak words and then turn His back on them? Never. We who believe in Jesus Christ have confidence in the face of death because of God's sure promise in Jesus Christ. That's what gives us confidence. Saying from hymn 68, based on 1 Corinthians 15, there it says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, it means the future harvest of believers is going to be resurrected as well. And notice how both 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, they describe the death, how they describe the death of believers. They both say that believers have fallen asleep. And there's a good reason for that. It's because those who die in the Lord still have life. So we confess in Lord's Day 22, I shall immediately after this life be taken up to Christ my head. Soul of believers goes to be with God in heaven after death. And although their bodies rest in death, this this situation is not permanent. Believers will rise from the dead as surely as you rise in the morning again after a good sleep. Now, in some sense, we can talk this way about, about those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as well. There will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, and Daniel 12 describes all people who have died as sleeping in death. But even still, there's a unique way we can say this for believers. That's because through Christ, death has lost its ultimate power over believers. You see, just as the grave could not keep its hold on Christ, so it will not keep its grip on those in whom Christ now lives. Believers. How could it? Believers are in Christ. Christ is in them. And Christ has already given us victory over the grave. This is how we face the death of loved ones who die in the Lord. Focus is on our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If it were on ourselves, we would have no hope at all. But it's in Christ, and so it's sure. That's also why we can look forward to the resurrection of the dead when Christ returns. Listen to how 1 Thessalonians 4 describes this. When the Lord Jesus returns, He will descend with a cry of command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are left, that is, still alive on the earth, will be caught, to get, caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. What an awesome picture of, of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is really and truly going to happen. If Christ comes back before you die, you will see the dead in Christ coming out of their graves. Life will fill every believer who has died. Their graves will burst open and they will rise from the dead. It's going to happen. And if you die before the Lord returns one day, you will be raised in that fashion at the return of Christ. And we will meet the Lord in the air. What a beautiful picture, the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting. That brings us to our next point. So the certainty of the resurrection and life everlasting naturally gives way to the comfort this brings. This is emphasized in the Catechism in Lord's Day 22. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Uh, what comfort do you receive from the article about uh, the life everlasting? You know, this life has been described before, it's been described by some as a veil of tears. And the prayer in the form for baptism calls it a, a constant death, calls this life a constant death. That sounds like a pretty negative description. There are lots of good things to enjoy in this world still, lots of good gifts from God. I've certainly been enjoying the spring weather we've been having lately. We can give thanks to God for that. And as Christians, we certainly don't need to live somber lives wearing a, a constant frown. But there's still something to these descriptions. And as you get older, you can't help but come face to face with the brokenness of life and the reality of death. But in the middle of that brokenness, this veil of tears, we have this glorious comfort. Lord say describes these twin comforts in this way. My soul after this life will immediately be taken up to Christ my head. And also this my flesh raised by the power of Christ will be reunited with my flesh and made like Christ's glorious body. And the life everlasting. Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. And we can see this coming out of our, our reading from Isaiah 25. That, that passage from Isaiah has many of these themes running through its verses. In verse 7 we read, The Lord will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all peoples. 
And this covering is the covering of the curse over the earth. See, death hangs like a dark cloud over humanity. It's no escaping it. Here we read, the Lord will swallow it up. That does not mean that no one will experience the curse. We know for sure that those who refuse to repent and believe, they will. But for those in Christ, those who believe in Him, this dark cloud will be removed. As verse 8 declares, God will swallow up death forever. It's a stunning image. Death will be swallowed up forever at the resurrection. Now think about death. Death, as it were, eats up our flesh. The grave opens its ugly mouth and takes people in. It grips us with its cruel teeth and refuses to let us go. Oh, I know that sounds maybe a bit gruesome, but it's the stark reality of death. And facing death and seeing loved ones attacked by death is hard. It's hard to see people who were once so strong, who did so many wonderful things with their bodies, ravaged by death. And it is a reason to grieve. Make no mistake, Christians are allowed to grieve. Well, 1 Thessalonians 4 does not say that Christians do not grieve. Christ himself wept over the death of Lazarus. 1 Thessalonians 4 says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Yes, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Death, which swallows all people in its cruel mouth, will be swallowed up by God. Our bodies thrown down into the grave by death will be raised up again by God. And these frail bodies will be renewed to be like Christ's glorious body. You see, Christ cannot die again. He's overcome death, and we will be like that. Never able to die. Never able to suffer. Never able to sin. That will be glorious. That's one reason also why Isaiah 25 immediately says the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. God will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And this is emphasized again in Revelation 21 about the new Jerusalem. God himself will be with us as our God. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Think about that, the Almighty Creator wiping away the tears from our eyes. You know, I'm sure most of the parents here have wiped a fair share of tears from their children's faces. Perhaps you've had it as a child too, where you hurt yourself, you cried, and your dad or your mom lovingly consoled you, wiped away your tears. That's what our Heavenly Father will do for us. By His marvelous power, by His goodness, those past hurts, which hurt so much, will no longer hurt. 
In his love, the veil of tears will be removed. Sorrow and sadness will flee away, will be gone. And when you are in that veil of tears, you might wonder, how will that be? I don't want to just put a smile on my face and act like the pain in my life isn't actually painful. Indeed, this is a mystery. But God will do this in a marvelous way. Crying and suffering and pain will be no more. This is why we hold on to what God declares in Isaiah 25. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. God does often make His people wait. And waiting for God can be hard. So often God's timing is not our own timing. At times we might wonder why God does not act sooner. Yet Scripture's emphatic declaration is that those who wait for God will not be put to shame. This is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. Waiting for God is worth it. Listen again to 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. In all times, we will enjoy the fullness of God's love shining down on us. At all times, we will be filled with joy and with peace. And that's one thing sorely lacking in this world. It's peace. When we are with the Lord forever, peace will never leave us. Not only will we be with the Lord forever, we will be with each other forever. No more being apart, no more loneliness, no more death to separate us from ones we love. It will all be gone. And that is a cause for celebration, a cause for feasting, as Isaiah 25 says. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. The Lord will celebrate with us an eternal life. We have a saying that all good things must come to an end. And yes, that's true in this life. But it's not true in eternal life. In eternal life, all bad things must come to an end and they will end. And all good things must continue and only increase. Well, as I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help but think of a song I'd heard a few months ago. Song by a Christian artist named Sandra McCracken. It's called We Will Feast. I'll leave you with the refrain of this song. There she sings We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, We will feast and weep no more. Amen. Mm-hmm.